1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDSE.
2: Chelsea Sack Lampard Hello and welcome to episode 19 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the league and the cup over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football, and this week we've once again got two up top. That means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Matthew. So, Matthew, how have you been these past two weeks?
1: I've been, I've been very good. Uh, sorry for missing out last week; there were some uh, things at work that needed to be dealt with. But yeah, it's all good. Fulham are at the cup, so we're officially in focus on the league mode. So it's all good there. And Gareth Bale is uh, hitting form a good five or so months before the Euro. so everything is very good.
2: Fantastic! I'm glad to hear. And also, you're joined by Palace fan Max.
0: Max, I hope all is well, and how have you been keeping, mate? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well. Um, yeah, Palace have had a bit of a break, um, but hopefully uh, we'll have kind of rested up and, and ready ahead of the game tonight. We'll be we'll be raring to go, just like I am for this pod. Fantastic. Right. Before we
2: do, let's do the social media bits first. we will be talking to the Abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter at Dan Tracy nine hundred and eighty three. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Pods. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud, Audioboom and Spotify. While well, also, the podcast can announce a new content partner as I've teamed up with GoldGround.com, and I'll be lending my thoughts to their excellent website on a regular basis. So once you've listened to the show, make sure you check out that as well. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Well, there's only one place we can go, and that is Stamford Bridge. Now, Matthew, you weren't here last week, as we've just said, but that's fine. But we spoke about Frank Lampard and the need for his players to dig him out of the mess that they are currently in. Something that's not going to happen now, but the question is for you, has the timing of Roman's decision surprised you somewhat?
1: Yeah, it's a weird one because I'm both I'm both surprised and not surprised at all, because this is the club that Sacks managers... You know, Carlo Ancelotti was gone... A year after winning the double, I think it was the League Cup double, and then he got them into the Champions League. So he did everything that you know Roman Abramovich asked of him, and that still wasn't good enough. And Frank Lampard has done a, a, de- a decent job. He's not. Been fantastic. It's not been, you know, Klopp, Guardiola transforming Chelsea sort of thing, but he's done a good job. And uh, as far as I'm, I haven't checked the league table in a while or the top of the league table, seeing where Fulham are. But I think they're still the Champions League spots. So no, no, Matthew, they're ninth.
2: There's nowhere near that.
1: They're ninth. I, t- 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 it, it tells you how much I've been <laughs> the It's literally just been Man City and Liverpool at the top, and then how far are we away from Burnley? That's all I managed <laughs> to do. Okay, in which case. In which case it probably does make sense in that case that he got rid of him. Yeah, but but on the but on the whole, yeah. To sack him in January, I actually think might be actually somewhat makes sense because now if you want to bring in the new man, which is Thomas uh Thomas Tuchel, this does give him, you know, a week or so, well less than a week as we're recording, um, to say, right? This is the squad we have at the moment. You probably would have got a little bit of a heads up against, you know, from the FA Cup said, this is probably going to be Frank Lampard's last game. So, you know, get a stream or something to watch it. See what you need, see what you don't need, and we'll try and make something happen. So it's a surprise and not a surprise
2: at the same time. Yeah, I think it's the action is not a surprise. The timing, perhaps. But with that said, Max, their position in the table makes for poor Reading. If you're going purely by the position itself, ninth, no good. The points distance not as bad, however, when you look at their defeat Celesta, and you look at Lampards, I think the kind of conclusion is he 's not the man to then find an ignition spark for the second half of the season
0: yeah yeah it 's basically that they, they didn 't feel like he could he could carry on improving them and one of the one of the big, uh, one of the big uh, points of his remit you know one of, one of his big goals at the club was basically to close the gap on you know the the real big teams at the top of the league, the the people challenging for the title. And, you know, they were really outclassed against Man City. They were outclassed against Leicester, who you would say now are challenging for the Premier League title. And he hasn't quite done well enough in the big games. And As you say, they haven't been great recently, right? They've lost five of their last eight in the league. Um, You know, they're ninth. They're mid-table, closer to Newcastle in 16th than they are to United in first. But at the same time, I do think... Um, It may have been a little bit premature, not that that's the first time we ever said that about Roman Abramovich and managers at Chelsea, but it may be a little bit premature considering kind of the the credit he had in the bank from his first season. Uh, Let's not forget he had a a transfer embargo. He had his hands tied. He couldn't sign anyone apart, apart from Kovacic, which was just kind of converting a loan into a permanent transfer. But he couldn't sign anyone. He's also really developed a lot of the youth players. People like Mason Mount has, you know, transformed from a Derby lonee to an England regular under his watch. Tammy Abraham, um, to a lesser extent, Fikai Tomori, um, uh, Billy Gilmore, P- players like that have, have really progressed under his tenure. And in his first season with the transfer embargo, he got Champions League football fourth and lost in the FA Cup final. This season, they're only five points off. Um, the European places of the Champions League places, which is probably his, his goal anyway. they know he 's not going to be able to challenge for the title immediately, still in the FA Cup, still in the Champions League, and they only got knocked out um, of the league Cup by the now finalists Spurs and that was on penalties so Although there has been a downturn in form recently, I think maybe he's just been a little bit he's been a little bit un, under increased spotlight and pressure because of the money he spent this summer. Whereas last season, if, they'd, if they would have underachieved, which they didn't, um, he could have said, well, you know, I didn't have the chance to sign anyone. And Roman would have said, fair enough. But this summer, they backed him financially. And when the inevitable downturn in form comes, um, the, you know, the, the trigger's much more likely to be pulled.
2: Well, as you say, last season, a free hit, you know, bar finishing 15th or whatever you or relegated, then really he can sort of just keep going along because... There's no way to buy players in and out and that kind of stuff. You know, it is what it is. This season, buying all those talents has then become a role for his own back. And obviously the downfall of that was the bad results and the extra pressure he was under, which has then seen the sack. But Matthew, if we look at the Leicester game in terms of the day, that was Tuesday. He gets sacked the following Monday and there's a cup game on the Sunday. So why give him the cup game if he's getting sacked a day later?
1: That is... That is a very good question. It sort of comes back to I I I think it does sort of allude to what I was saying. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying this was the official line, but I do think there is an element of right. If we sack if we sack him now, then there's How much is Tuchel going to learn really from or whoever the manager may be? We don't know when Tuchel was sort of come up with. How much is he going to learn from you know, from a from a from a cup game? So no real point now and maybe it's a trans because i know one of the stories was basically that he wanted to sign declan rice and there was a so maybe it's not a performance thing maybe it's a behind the scenes thing so you know it wasn't as so it wasn't results it was just what's going on this is just how it happened to time out but back to the back to the general point yeah if you are going to sack him at any point why do it before before a um before an FA cup game or you would want to do it. Now, where's that bang result that says, right, we definitely can't go anywhere further now. So after the Leicester game would have made a little bit more sense.
2: Yeah, it's just the timing is very strange. And the Declan Rice point is a very good one. It's almost akin to Frank having all these toys over the summer and asking Uncle Roman for another. And him saying, look, come on, you've got enough already. And I think that might have been a point of friction. But I think really, if you looked at Frank's charge sheet, I don't think it's one simple Reason as for he sacking. I think it's a multitude of things that are stacked up to where we are. But in terms of the cap sorry, in terms of the cup game max, as Matthew said, we're not going to learn too much from a victory over Luton. But what we did see are two players lacking confidence. So let's look at them in a little bit more detail first. First you get Timo Werner. Now, with them sort of in the fifth round already, he's handed the perfect opportunity to get a goal from the penalty spot. He spurns it. This is a player obviously lacking in confidence. Will we hope that the new man can find, I guess, a boost that he's been looking for and the club's hierarchy will be looking for also?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just to briefly, briefly touch on the previous answer, basically yeah. the timing issue. Uh, I understand that um, Lampard, they basically decided to get rid of him after the Leicester game. And basically, they were just kind of finalising negotiations with Tuchel um, to, to kind of make sure everything was all arranged to, to you know, get him in quite quickly. Um, rather than sacking Frank immediately after the Leicester game and then kind of waiting for two weeks while they ironed out the final final um, parts of the Tuchel deal. So basically, I think Tuchel is imminent now, and they just wanted to kind of get a little bit further in negotiations before they, they sacked Frank. And on the um, on the Declan Rice thing, yeah, so he, he fell out with the transfer chief, Marina Granovskaya, uh basically, um, he want, you know, they they had a couple of problems, with the centre back issue. Um, he wanted to get rid of Rudiger, but the board and the hierarchy liked him. He wanted to get Declan Rice, and he was really pushing to get Rice, and obviously because of his undoubted talent as a player. But the Chelsea board felt it would be embarrassing to have to spend 60 or 70 million on a player that they released as a teenager, um, and you know, join join their London rivals. And is still there now. And so, basically, Lampard was pushing, pushing, pushing for Rice, knowing that what kind of transformative influence he might have on the team. But the board were just not interested in that at all. And that was one of the um, one of the the reasons causing a bit of a fractious relationship. Um, in terms of your actual of your actual question, um, yes. Yeah, so he Tuchel is obviously German, German speaking, and I understand that basically Chelsea are not saying, um, "Oh, we bought Tuchel in to help." Um, rejuvenate uh, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, who are obviously also German. They they say, look, he's the best man for the job, um, and you know, regardless of his what language he speaks. But um, as, as I was saying on the radio yesterday, it's definitely an advantage. You, you can't say it's not an advantage to have someone in there who can, you know, put put his arm around their shoulder and, and kind of G them up a little bit. That that kind of linguistic connection definitely must be, um, must be a positive for them. And he might, you know, h- help get the best out of Havertz and Werner and Rudiger and players who've kind of been in and out of the side, clearly talented, but haven't quite pr- been producing. And... Arguably, one of the main reasons that Frank has gone is, is all the transfers he made. Werner and Havertz are the biggest transfers they made this summer. You know, their record transfer, Havertz. And those two have particularly struggled with injury, struggled with form, been played out of position, haven't played consistently. And I think how Tuchel um, manages, to, manages to try and improve Havertz and Werner could really be key to his tenure.
2: Well, Matthew, you get Kepper, And boy, if there's a goalkeeper that's lacking in confidence, it is he. Because he shit one to Luton after just letting it go through him. He's almost at Roberto of West Ham levels. Remember him last season with his chocolate wrists? He was awful as well. So will he be hoping for new manager salvation? Or is he absolutely done? Not only at the club, but as a top-tier goalkeeper. I, I, I think he's probably
1: done. How many managers, when they come in, do you think can, can reinvigorate the goalkeeper? Like you can got understand like someone might might tweak a style of play to help you know uh, a winger uh, create more chances or you know a striker get back into form or a defense or you know like Sam Allardyce would always improve the defense because that's how it works i don't think there's ever been a ever been a a, a, a head coach or a manager that's come in and improved the goalkeeper straight away. I mean, Pep Guardiola, for instance, had a whole season with Claudio Bravo. We saw what happened with him. And so we had to say, nope, that's enough. We're getting Edison in. So I think Kep, there, there's no much more than Kepa can do to try and convince. I mean, for all we know, he might, Tuchel might say, no, I prefer Kepa, uh, Kepa to Mendy in goal. But I don't think that's really going to do anything in terms of improving him in terms of a goalkeeper i think his his time has well and well and truly gone at, at chelsea so they may get he may get another chance in cup games to rest someone like mendy but i i really do not see him being you know back in contention to be chelsea's number one at any point, at any
2: point going forward i'll give you one example of a manager who made a goalkeeper good almost indirectly it was harry redknapp and gomez Although that needed Tony Parks as the goalkeeping coach. So I don't think it's necessarily the manager who comes in and works with the goalkeeper. But if Tuchel brings a good goalkeeping coach, there might be salvation. But I think even then might be a stretch too far. Because you look at the performance against Luton and you're thinking that's that's bread and butter. And he's had so many of those errors just this season, let alone the seasons before. You just think, how much more are they willing to take? I don't think it's much at all. But Max, in terms of players, one other charge sheet for Frank Lampard was that he'd lost the dressing room. Not as a whole, but names were quickly frozen out and then just ignored. Which, when you're trying to get a team to turn around their fortunes, will collectively make the job much harder, I guess. That's probably worked against him in the long run.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and a lot of, obviously, uh, kind of anon- anonymous, unnamed players were were basically saying that once you're out of the picture with Frank, you're really out of the picture. He leaves you out of games, he doesn't touch you at all. Uh, they also were saying things like, oh, you know, we weren't getting much communication from Frank. We weren't really told why we were out of the team, what we could do to improve, how we could get back into the team. Um, and so uh, there were kind of a lot of disgruntled players on the fringes of the team. Although I will say that will happen at every every club, you know. And at Tottenham, who are performing pretty well, generally, um, Mourinho has basically sidelined the likes of Ali and Bale a little bit and previously you know last season it was in Ndombele uh, but he's, he has shown that if you do play your way back into form and if you do impress him in training there is a, a route back into the team for you whereas with Lampard <clears throat> excuse me with Lampard maybe that wasn't the case so much um, but yeah Kepper is <laughs> it's funny because he's, he's obviously you know one of the most expensive goalkeepers of all time and that was another bone of contention with between Granovskaya and Lampard. Basically, the Chelsea hierarchy and board, having been persuaded to spend so much money on a, on a keeper, on a young keeper, you know, with room to improve, they were really keen for Lampard to put his arm around his shoulder and to kind of coax him back into form and give him a bit of confidence back. Lampard was not interested in that. And last season, you know, we, we saw... Uh, the 38-year-old Willy Caballero being given really important games and finals instead of Kepo, who's just kind of languishing on the bench. And Lampard pushed really, really hard against um, the Chelsea higher-ups to, to to really push to sign Edouard Mendy. And Mendy started really well. Arguably, in the last couple of games, he's been a bit shaky as well, and they haven't kept many clean sheets. So maybe that was, um, that was another point of pressure <laughs> between Lampard and the board.
2: Now, Matthew, we've referenced Thomas Tuchel being the the likely candidate to take over from Lampard. So is it unfair to expect a legacy from the German or is he just another man in the ever expanding chain of short term managers who do eighteen, twenty four months and they're out again?
1: Yeah, if this was any other club you'd be asking a very different question, but given what Tuchel has you know, given what Chelsea are rather as a club. Again, this will come down to I would not be surprised if, in eighteen months' time, you know, come the end of the twenty twenty one twenty two season, if Chelsea are fifth, the Roman Abramovich says, "Nope, that's it. You're gone. Let's get, let's get, let's get the next man in. Let's see if, yeah, let's work it out. Let's see if Pochettino wants to leave PSG already, sort of thing." I, I would not be surprised. But whilst I say I would not be surprised, I do think there is just something that little bit. I was gonna say special, but that's not quite that's that's Jose Mourinho territory. But there is just that little bit of I think Thomas Tuchel is the kind of man that can like like Lampard was meant to as as Max says, close the gap to the top to the top two, top three of the table. I think Tuchel is the man that can take this squad, you know, maybe a few additions as well, and take them to the next level. So I don't think it's gonna so I don't think it's going to be a short term. Uh, a short-term appointment. I do see him being there for... I was going to say for three years, but is that short-term? I, I, in the grand scheme... medium-term,
2: really, isn't it? Medium-term,
1: I mean. yeah. Given the way the football managers work these days. Yeah, medium-term. So, I, yeah. So, if you want to put it that way, I don't see it being short-term. Definitely medium-term, at least.
2: Yeah, I mean, if we take Deitch as the top end of long-term, sort of six seasons plus, I think medium-term's three on that scale. But, Max, I've been doing this podcast for three years... And I've lost track of the amount of Chelsea new manager conversations that we've had. I mean, it's been a lot. And the thing is, when you look at these quick-fire methods from Roman Abramovich and the fact that large swathes of cash also involved in terms of getting players, it does seem to work though, doesn't it? You can understand if they were swimming around, again, 15th, 16th every season and just surviving the Premier League. But although there is bust, there is quite a lot
0: of boom. So
2: why change it?
0: Yeah, that's kind of interesting. And that's the other side of the coin in that, They've been pretty, you know, since he took over, and in the Premier League era, and maybe in the latter part of the Premier League era, Chelsea have been successful. They won a lot of, they won a lot of trophies, you know, domestic and, and and European, and so and so you really can't argue with the fact that it has been successful um, for Roman in terms of trophies won, in terms of competitions won, and in terms of. <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of the, the kind of prestige that Chelsea has as a result of winning these competitions. And so, and so, yeah, it, he he would say that it's it's the right decision to basically keep hiring and firing people uh, at a rate of knots because, you know, you can maybe say the same thing about Watford as well. Before Watford went down to the Championship, they would just routinely sack managers midway through the season, have two or three managers every year, and they kept staying up. And so to the owners, that probably... That probably said to the owners, oh, well, we're doing the right thing. It's working. We're staying up. But, you know, ultimately, there is only so far you can go with that because I, I suspect Tuchel will win a couple of trophies. Um, but I can, but, you know, that's no guarantee of him staying. Like like Matthew mentioned, Ancelotti won, won, um, won trophies and went. Mourinho won trophies and went. Um, Villas-Boas, um, no, not Villas-Boas, was it? Di Matteo, sorry, won the Champions League, didn't he? Um, Avram Grant nearly won the Champions League if John Terry hadn't slipped. And, and all of these managers are still leaving anyway. So I think ultimately, if you want a long term secure future, you probably want uh, like a project like Arteta at Arsenal or Solskjaer at United or Klopp at Liverpool. Um, but, you know, Roman deals in trophies. And if he's happy winning trophies by Saki Manager every two years, then he's going to keep doing it.
2: Well, Matthew, on the subject of trophies, Chelsea are still in the Champions League. The fifth round of the FA Cup. Top four is not outside the realms of possibility. So if Tuchel does take over, can a modicum of success be found this season? No. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's a...
1: I, I think it can because Roman Vranovic's aim has probably always been to win the Champions League. And even though he did that in 2012, I do still think, just based on what we've heard various times, that is still the main prize for him. So if if it has to if it is a case of you know they get knocked out of the FA Cup but I have no idea who their opponents are in the next in the, in the next round or and if they finish fifth but they win the Champions League then that pretty much will be Thomas Tuchel you know mi- mission accomplished will probably be a bit too far but yeah there is there is that chance but I think it's going to be a very hard stretch for him to for him to take for him to take this squad which is a good squad but I don't think this team as is, is ready to make that sort of jump. He's not going to improve them that much in order to do it. As I said earlier, it may take him you know, the, ne- the next summer transfer window to get out certain players and bring in certain players before they can really sort of make that jump.
2: Which brings me neatly onto my final Chelsea point for this episode, Max. And with a new manager, there's always new ideas and that always brings a new shopping list. Now, when we consider that Chelsea have spent an absolute bucket load this season already... We can probably ignore any new arrivals in the next week or so because it's been such a depressed market anyway. But if you are Thomas Tuchel, what do you need to make this team better? Or is it a simple case of just working with the players that are already there?
0: Yeah, I think it's just a case of working with with what he has, to be honest. The talent is there, um, arguably, maybe not not now, maybe not this season, um, maybe not next season. But they've got the building blocks to win a Premier League title with the talent in that squad, I think. Um, but basically the players are good enough um, in the medium to long term to to win a Premier League title and so particularly given that uh, the Chelsea board probably could afford it but they won't want to you know go and splash out in at, at the end of january there's not much time left anyway um or in the summer given that they spent so much money last summer and so he is going to have to work with what he had but um yeah you know he he's only ever worked with with talented squads at dortmund and psg and he does he is a really good coach, he's a really good tactician, and so I can I can really see him um, improving the Chelsea players and, you know, maybe injecting a bit of confidence into Havertz and Werner. The law of averages would tell you that at some point they're going to both start improving. Chelsea have had a fair amount of, of issues in their attacking uh, areas this season. You know, Ziyech has been kind of in and out of injury, as has Pulisic. Um, Werner and Havertz have kind of been played out of position a little bit. So Werner's been playing wide left and Havertz has been playing a little bit deeper or wide right. Um, whereas I think, you know, Vern is probably a bit more comfortable, kind of centrally in a free role. Haberts is a bit more comfortable in the number ten role. And so, if they have their first choice team completely, fully fit and firing, uh, I think they could easily, you know, play themselves back into form. And then, and then you're, and then you're, you're laughing, aren't you, with, with the, the, the talent that they've got. Um, so I, I definitely think they've got the capability, and I, I can't see Tuchel being given loads of money, um, especially as he's joined mid-season. He's just going to have to work with what he's got.
2: Righto, let's move to Merseyside now because it's been a bad week for Liverpool and what's already been a bad month. So Matthew, we'll revert to the weekend in a moment, but first, their incredible home run in the league has come to an end. And what price would you put on Burnley as the team that ends it?
1: Uh, you wouldn't have put you wouldn't have put any any price. I don't. I don't... You know, You know, five thousand know, to one was Leicester. I think their probably would have been would, <laughs> would have been longer. Let's think. I mean, I mean, on the day the odds might be there, but when you saw, say, right the start of the whole thing, right, who's going to end it at sixty eight games? No one would have said Burnley. No. Um But yeah, as much as as much as this will probably be a Liverpool thing, I think we do have to give some credit to Burnley, who have proven to be, as usual, a thorn in a thorn in many people's sides and can cause and can cause the occasional upset so i think all credit needs to go to them but did it, it i know we're going to talk about it it's, you can just see there are a few problems starting to seep into Liverpool, and the fact that if it i think that the burning result kind of is a good thing for them because if this result had come against um, you know, if it had come against Man City, say, then everyone would have said, "Oh, yeah, there's only so much you can do." It's Manchester City. So the fact that it's Burnley is probably going to be one of those results that sets alarm bells ringing, um, up in Anfield to say, "Right, we really need to do something about this now," because. With with the whole injury problems at the back and you know, Salamano and Firmino haven't exactly been on great form in the past couple of weeks and um, whatever, that's probably going to be the
2: one result that says right, lads, we need to sort something out. So Max, there was only one goal in the game, and that came from Ashley Barnes' late penalty. For you though, was it the right decision with the collision between Allison and Barnes to get to the penalty?
0: Oh, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? It, it is, is tricky. It is yeah i oh, i don't know it's there was one um which was relatively similar in the in the united liverpool game in the cup with van der Beek. and basically people um kind of uh, dismissed it immediately as oh yeah a dive he's looking for that whatever but there is a little bit of contact he, he i mean he obviously is trying to van der Beek is obviously trying to initiate that contact and kind of leave his leg into leave his leg into alisson a little bit but that's kind of what what Barnes was doing as well and yeah, it's it's it, oh, it's such a tricky one. I think, I think basically, and I'm going to sound like I'm anti Liverpool, but given the the kind of the amount of soft penalties that Liverpool have got for <laughs> for, for, for pretty similar things, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say you, you just kind of have to suck it up and accept it. And and to be fair, I don't think that um, I don't remember Klopp, you know, blasting the the officials too much for that decision. Um, but on the Burnley point, um. You know what? They they did really well at Anfield the previous season. I think they I think it was a nil nil draw and and Goodmanson hit the bar in the last minute or something with a chance to win it. And actually, the last team to beat um, to beat Liverpool Anfield, um, as I'm delighted to announce as a Palace fan, w- was Palace in uh, 2017. And so I I think basically, if a team is going to beat Liverpool, it's going to be one of those teams like Burnley and Palace with a low block. And who kind of sets out to frustrate them and gets the odd goal on the break rather than, you know, a big team. Because Liverpool seem to turn up against the big teams and this season, um, not so much against the the smaller teams. Although they obviously beat (laughs) Palace 7-0, which we won't speak of ever again on this podcast.
2: We won't, I promise. But Matthew, if we look at the game as a whole, there were very few flashpoints. But thankfully, there were at least two and they were kind of interconnected. So I'll give you the first part, which was the skirmish on the pitch before the interval. What did you make of that?
1: Um, just handbags. We've we've seen that plenty of times. It's nothing. It's nothing really to make really make cause cause a concern. I'm assuming when you say skirmish, that's going to lead on to the whole Sean Dyson, Jurgen Klopp thing yes, in the yes, in the talent. Yes. I mean, can we can we be brutally honest? That's what we want. That's that's what we want to see. You know, whenever whenever <laughs> you know these skirmishes on the pitch happen, and there's always that thing of oh, that's that's not what the fans want. Oh, to see. Yeah, we that don't... is absolutely what the fans want to see. <laughs> absolutely. And can can we be honest? If there were two managers in the Premier League that you'd want to see, it's Jurgen Klopp and it's Sean Dyche. I mean, it's absolute, absolutely perfect. It, it will, probably was something out of absolutely nothing, but it just goes to show Jurgen Klopp isn't exactly public, isn't the flavour of the month anymore as he was when he first came into when he first came into Liverpool when he was the the cool uncle sort of thing, and he turned up to one of the Liverpool press conferences in a, in a, in a Beatles t-shirt thing. Oh, well, he loves the city. He, he does this and all that sort of stuff. It is just kind of, it is one of those microcosms that says, Jürgen Klopp, no one really, not no one, but we don't really like you anymore, Jürgen. And now you've got Sean Dyche, the most Brexity of managers as (laughs) other people will label him. The fact that he's the one
2: that has this argument with Sean Dyche was absolutely fantastic. Well, Max, so leading on to that, I know you referenced in the group chat, that's obviously only privy to us, about this. So do you want to expand on that point a bit further? Which point? Which point, sorry? About sort of, uh, Klopp and how he's all cool and likeable and all that, and now he's got the, the facade is starting to slip.
0: Yeah yeah I, I I did mention that you know because he he is um kind of superficially charming and and obviously when, when things are going well it's it's easy to be like that um you know it's easy to be in a good mood and have a laugh with reporters and you know play up the connections to the city and say things like cool and and boom in in your press conferences and you know be a little bit special and different like Mourinho was when he first joined and he was a breath of fresh air um but you know we, we see it with these big managers um Mourinho and Lampard and Guardiola and and obviously Klopp as well have now been pretty moody whenever they whenever they start losing and I <laughs> I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of of, of Burnley in and their style of football mainly because they normally beat Palace but um, I, I just thought it was, it was fantastic that you know Burnley were just kind of un, unapologetically going there to do a job and they did a job and obviously Klopp. Klopp didn't like it but you know Burnley as Sean Dice said after the match Burnley've got a right to go up there and play in whatever manner they they see fit to try and get a result and you know to fight for every second ball and you know to to make tactical fouls and whatever play long balls and so yeah I, I thought it was I thought it was absolutely fantastic um, I we are seeing the, the the kind of the the cool uncle facade slip a little bit for Klopp now that he's in trouble and it'll be interesting to see if he you know manages to Kind of <laughs> manages to manage his um, his his appearance and his um, his persona uh, with the English media if things carry on um, going not so well.
2: So, Matthew, what else can be said for Liverpool and their recent woes? Because we've touched on possibilities on this show over the last month; those being tiredness, a patchwork quilt defence, a lack of rotation in general. Are there any other theories that you want to throw into the mix? Um,
1: no. Other than it's just. The, it's just the way It's just the way of the world. These things happen. It's just the fact that for Liverpool, they all seem to have come, you no, know, not just in one season, but within the space of a month. And it hasn't helped them that, again, if this had happened last season, you know, you know as it did off, after lockdown, when they sort of started to stumble a bit, when they were, you know, 20 points clear, no one would really be batting an eyelid. But it's now the fact that everyone else seems to have somewhat caught up and the top of the table is now an actual battle. That these height that these things are being sort of you know are being are being exaggerated to some extent but in the grand scheme of things are, are Liverpool fans in any real position to complain because in the past two seasons they've you know run Manchester city close to they was it ninety eight or ninety seven points they ended up with one of one of the two ran them they they ended up with ninety seven points and won the champions League and then the next year they um won the title with ninety nine points ending a third 30-year title drought. So if they have one season like this where everything seems to be going wrong, are we being being honest? Do we really have any sympathy for Liverpool fans through all this? Because I personally don't.
2: Well, I think it boils down to Liverpool fans not used to losing don't like losing, really, because they've just had such a good run for such a while now that they are having it all at once and it's a bit of pill to swallow. So, you know, things can change quite quickly and with the calibre of player there then you know it could change as early as Thursday, which I hope you don't, because they face Tottenham. But it's not quite a crisis yet. But, Max, with that in mind, and another theory, some people are comparing the length of Jurgen Klopp's tenure at Dortmund to now. And when you look at how things ended at Dortmund, it was the well just drying out completely to the point where everyone was knackered, he was knackered, he had to leave. Are we seeing the first
0: signs of something similar at Anfield? Um, maybe it's potentially a little bit early to say that, but you, we can definitely keep tabs on it. We can definitely keep watching it and, and see what happens. Because you're right, basically, by the end of his tenure, both players and staff and manager were just were just knackered, kind of physically and mentally, with how intense his and demanding his methods are. And obviously, they've been successful previously in that they they won Liverpool the title for the first time in in thirty years. But at the same time, you know, you do need to. Kind of have a rejuvenation and we saw that pochettino who had been so successful in his not in terms of trophies but in terms of improving the squad and, and finishing high up the league um and play playing stuff pochettino had done really well at spurs for a couple of years and then things just kind of started to go stale and he had hadn't had enough new players and kind of injecting fresh blood into the squad and so things weren't a bit stale and things started going downhill pretty quickly um and I wonder, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson said, basically, you need to rebuild a team every four or five years. You know, you need to move on the core of that team and get newer, fresher, younger players who are, who are going to do the same thing again, but in a new four year or five year cycle. And I, I just wonder whether um, after last year was basically the pinnacle of, of of Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp, because they reached such a high point and, you know, played such amazing Heavy metal football, won the Premier League, um, won the Champions League. The, the only way to go from there is down, basically. I, I, I think it's going to be so, so hard for them to retain the Premier League or retain the Champions League. Um, you know, obviously, they, they lost the Champions League last year um, and, and, and Bayern took it off them. But yeah, th- having done so well previously, I, I, I just think they're going to struggle to reach those same heights again, um, particularly given how reliant they are on you know, Alisson and Van Dyke and Salah. And you know, they've been without basically Salah's obviously been playing but in been been in pretty poor form and Van Dyke's been out injured. And you can see just the loss of form or you know absence of two of those three kind of keystone players and they're and they're screwed <laughs> and, and they've really struggled. So maybe I mean I, I think reports of their of their demise are maybe a little bit exaggerated. But um but yeah we, we need to we need to keep an eye on it.
2: Yeah, I think it's wishful thinking from everyone else who doesn't support Liverpool. But, you know, if the trend continues, then we might be onto to something. And the trend certainly did continue on Sunday in terms of results. So, Matthew, in terms of Manchester United getting the better of Liverpool, obviously Liverpool found the net, something they haven't done in the league in a while. But were they masters of their own downfall in terms of the loss?
1: Um, yeah, to- to to some extent, you have to sort of explain that a little bit more to me. I'm not quite sure what point you what point you're getting at that, that, that Daniel. Well, sorry, it's the, me, the goal... me having
2: a mental breakdown. Sorry. That's all right, mate. Don't worry. The goals they conceded, but certainly the first two. I'm thinking Milner didn't deal with the clearance, right, and then, right, and then Williams obviously made a, a hash of the ball that allowed Rashford in. So they played better, but obviously I think, like I say, they mastered their own downfall in terms of the mistakes they made.
1: I see what you mean. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And there's only. It's it's probably Jurgen Klopp. Just, there's only so many problems you can fix at, fix at any one time, and he's trying his best to sort sort that to sort that out. And because of the injuries which we've mentioned, it it was always going to it was always going to end badly in those situations. But at the same time, there are some mistakes that happen that Jurgen Klopp really can't account for, like for instance, Bruno Fernandez have uh, with that with that free kick. I know there's been a lot of questions about Allison and his positioning and the positioning of the wall and. There was a player in front of Paul Pogba, that is, and his name is escaping me right now, and whether or not he should have done a better job blocking the free kick. So, yeah, there's a, there is only so much blame the Jurgen Klopp can take in this situation. At some point, you do have to look at the players and say, y- you guys just aren't quite doing the job that you're meant to be doing.
2: So, Max, in terms of the FA Cup, it's always been viewed as collateral damage for Klopp in that if they go out and when they go out, it frees up them for bigger things, that being Champions League campaigns, the Premier League winning and all that. So, with the extension of the bad form happening on Sunday and losing to United, is that an exit that's going to smart even more than usual?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I read a stat saying Klopp's only once or never been beyond the fifth round of the FA Cup. That's and right. so yeah which which is pretty poor, considering the you know the caliber of team and players that you have, but yeah, it is kind of smart, you know Liverpool and United are obviously historical and northern rivals semi location rivals, although they 're obviously not in the same city, but you know these are probably the two biggest clubs in the country, um, possibly in Europe, possibly in the world, and winning breeds winning, and you need to beat the big teams, and so yeah, at the end of the day it isn 't. A final that he's lost in, um, but it is going to smart because of who it was against, um, because of how open they looked at the back. They finally managed to get some of their attacking mojo back, but at the expense of their um, <coughs> of conceding goals. And it is going to sting because you know you, you want players to be winning trophies to get used to that feeling, not to get used to losing to their to their big rivals. Um, and obviously United are top of the table with their Premier League rivals as well. And what how much confidence is that going to give the the United players beating last season's you know um, last season's winners and knowing that they've got that they can that they can beat them and without Bruno Fernandez starting as well. So that'll give United real confidence going forward and yeah, Klopp will be Klopp will be fuming. So Matthew, let's focus on Manchester United in the league
2: now and Fulham, the latest side to go up against them. It started so well for you guys with Lukman scoring after five minutes, but the Red Devils found that extra gear to return back to the top of the table. So overall, what was your assessment of the game?
1: Uh, it was meh. I mean, <laughs> it was, I, mean, I mean, it was it was it was it was what Fulham have been the past couple of weeks when we played the big team. We do our best, we keep the score relatively simple, but in the end, quality slash fitness slash whatever you want to call it. Rings true in the end, and that's exactly what happened. You know, some of it was, you know of our own downfall. I think Alphonse Areola probably could have done a little bit better with dealing with whoever's cross it was, and then pushing it straight out to Edson Cavani for the tap in. And then there's only really so much you can. There's only so much you can say about Paul Pogba's uh, winning goal. That was that was an incredible strike, but it's just if you're talking about from a fuller angle, it was. You know, rinse and repeat. That's what that's what we had been uh, for the past couple of weeks when playing the big teams. Now it's just a case of how much damage is that going to do in terms of morale and everything when we got uh, Brighton coming up tomorrow and then uh, West Brom on the weekend. So the relegation six pointers, twelve pointers, however the maths works on that point. Um, yeah, whether or not that's going to be enough to sort of damage us and whether or not we need to change anything going into those games.
2: Well, I was going to ask about a six-pointer, but you've just struck on something. What is a six-pointer plus a six-pointer? Is it 12 points? I don't know if it is or not, really, mathematically, but it's a very good point. So you've answered that question. I just want to ask about Areola, because you referenced that. I think, personally, he's shipped you two goals in the last two home matches. Chelsea's winner and Cavani's goal. Now, he's obviously done a lot more across the course of the season, but is this midi trend a bit of a worry?
1: Yeah, that's, that's the point we've been talking about on the Full and Focus podcast, is... How much credit has he built up throughout the season for us to sort of say, you know, is this a problem or is this okay? He's Like when, like when Adam Lukman had that penalty against West Ham, it was all about, right, he needs to do something to sort of get back the trust and say, right, you're good with us now. And he did that a couple of weeks later by scoring in a win against Leicester. So that's sort of Ariola, something different. To an extent, these games were free hits because it's Chelsea and Man United. So we're not trying to put all of the blame on him and say, oh, we've got to drop him immediately. But at the same time, as you said, that was, you know, a, point dropped against, that was a point dropped against Chelsea and a point dropped against Man United, which at the end of the season could prove costly. But we are just hoping that it's, it's just a little small blip. If it starts to become a problem against Brighton and West
2: Brom, then we do have, really have serious issues. So, Max, if we go to the person who scored that equaliser that being Cavani, of course, he's certainly becoming more acclimatised in the Premier League. He's much more a Zlatan than a Falcao, which was something we asked at the start of the season. So he's going in the right direction if he's not there already. And I think when you look at him, he offers a much different kind of attacking threat than the likes of Rashford and Greenwood, because those two like to come from out to in,
0: whereas Cavani just stalks the width for the post all the time. Yeah, exactly. He is a different kind of player. You know, Martial... Um, is is a very talented player, but he's been really out of form this season. Um, and having had the success of signing someone, you know, relatively similar like, like Ibrahimovic, you know, who, who's done it on the European stage, he's scored a hatful of goals um, at PSG. And obviously, he's in you know the best team in the league by a mile. But still, he's got like I, like I said when he joined, he's got a real you know history and pedigree of, of scoring goals. And he is he is just the kind of ruthless poacher that that they need because arguably Martial is not an out-and-out striker. Arguably Rashford isn't an out-and-out striker. You know, Greenwood arguably also isn't an out-and-out number nine striker. They're kind of attacking midfielders, wingers, maybe wide forwards, maybe forwards. But Cavani is the only one in that squad who you look at and say he is a natural, natural finisher. He's a clever player. He's going to get you goals with his movement. Um, And you know, we've seen it because he's been starting in the last couple of games and Martial, Rashford, Greenwood, Bruno, Pogba, all those fantastic, um, all those fantastic attacking players, they're basically finding a way to fit in uh, behind him, you know, and, and, and Cavani's been given the nod. So, yeah, I can see him playing until the end of the season. And if he scores 10 goals between now and the end of the season in at crucial moments, that may be enough to win United the title.
2: Right, we've got about 15 minutes, so there's been so much football, we're never going to do it all, so let's have a whiz round of the big headlines from the last seven days or so. Matthew, we spoke about West Ham last week, I think it was last week, yeah I'm sure it was, and the fact that they are awash with some cash after selling Sebastian Haller, we asked the question should they use some of it to buy forward to boost their chances of European football, they might not need it, though, because they've got Antonio and they keep winning. It's now five unbeaten for the Hammers. It
1: is, but you are then putting a lot of faith in Mikel Antonio being able true, to stay true. Fit, fit, fit and healthy because he is really their, own, their only one option left, which is why bringing in a backup strike, uh, backup forward. I know uh, Marco Anatovic was muted very quickly. That seems to have gone away in the past couple of days. But something like that. And I also saw Ed Ngecko was having his name touted around a couple of days ago. Those sort of signings would make sense because if you want to have you know, someone just to get you through the next six months, then someone like an Arnautovic on loan or a Jekko on loan to compliment Arna- Antonio is probably the right way to go. I don't think this is really the market or the window for you to for you to just slap down 25 million and say, right, here is our next forward for the next five years sort of thing. I think you just need someone someone to compliment rather than disrupt the, the flow of things at, at the London Stadium.
2: So, Max, we'll go to Tyneside now because Newcastle, we spoke about them and them potentially being in a relegation battle. I think after Saturday's limp performance at Aston Villa, they're in it now, aren't they? Yeah, very
0: much. Very much. You, you have to say that they are, you know, the form that they've been in. And there, there are extenuating circumstances in, in that, you know, Lascelles, who's their captain and arguably best defender. So, Maximan, who is undoubtedly their best and most exciting and most creative attacker, They've both been out for a long time, you know, for a period of months with COVID. And we obviously, you know, they're not fully back into, into, into full fitness and sharpness after such a long absence as well. And so it might even take them a, a month or two more to get back into, you know, playing in the Premier League regularly and, and contributing meaningfully in the, in the Premier League. And so, you know, there, there are extenuating circumstances, but at the same time, Newcastle just look pretty dour. There's, there's a lack of self-belief um there's a lack of bite um there's a there seems to be a lack of energy and I, obviously i know there was a covid outbreak but i they just they just look like they're they're in freefall and i think what will really worry steve bruce is the fact that he's um he's tried to you know kind of rejuvenate things and he said look we're not going to go defensive 5-4-1 anymore we're re- really going to start to go for it and let the shackles off and and go 4-4-2 and start playing andy Carroll up front um, with a, with another striker more regularly and they're still losing and they're still not scoring. Um, and his big kind of tactical revolution has basically been and gone and, 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 and their form isn't improving. So so I think they're, they're really in trouble.
2: Yeah, because the teams below them, although they've not got a lot of points between them, really, if at all. I mean, Sheffield United are probably the outlier in all this, so ignore them. But you look at West Brom, Fulham, Brighton, like you can see them getting more points on the board, whereas Newcastle look like they're now just try to hold on already and there's too much football for that to take place so it's not looking good for the magpies and i'll stay with you max actually because wolves have acted on our podcast device from last week because they've signed William jose from real Sociedad. so we sort of said that the remit really should be a premier league striker or one with premier league experience is that a
0: decent capture even without that experience uh yeah i think it is i think it is um yeah premier league uh, experience isn't the be all and end all, you know. Obviously, we've seen players come from from outside and do well, and we've seen players with Premier League experience move to another team and and not do so well. But yeah, I think if they were going to go for someone, they, they'd would go for someone like that. You know, he, he's he's a good player. He's done it in he's done it in La Liga. He he he's been and done that. You know, La Liga is isn't a rubbish league. Um, they've not got him from some like Mickey Mouse um, Eastern European league. Um, he, he's played at a, a high level. He's a good player. Um, they've also got the option, so it's on. It's a loan. If he doesn't work out, if he ends up being not so great, um, more uh, more Falcao than Ibrahimovic, as we were saying, then they can just let him go back on loan. You know, n- nothing lost basically. It's not like they've slapped 20 million on him and they're kind of saddled with him whether he's a success or not. But they do also have the option of signing him permanently if he turns out to be the kind of Jimenez-style player. And so. Um, Given that their, their history of signing strikers like that, um, you know, that they, they are going to hope that he's going to be uh, more more <laughs> than Falcao, more Jimenez than uh, Catrone, uh, and so yeah, they've got more options now. And I think it was a pretty shrewd move.
2: Yeah, I'd have to agree, especially with the terms of the deal. Like you say, it's a win-win almost because if he is a bust, just ship him back to the uh, Basque region. If not, then get him next season, and he can be the addition, or maybe even. God forbid, the replacement to Jimenez if he can't get fully fit again. But Matthew, we'll stay with players that are leaving Real Sociedad on loan. Actually, no, he was on loan at Real Sociedad. He's leaving Real Madrid. That's Martin Odegaard because he looks set to move to Arsenal until the end of the season. Could he offer exactly what the Gunners are looking for? And is this also bad news for the emergence of Emil Smith-Rowe?
1: Yeah, I'll take I'll, I'll take the first part of the question. I think this is a very very big gamble from from Mes- uh, from Mikel Arteta rather, because they have been screaming out for that creative play. You know, we've been saying it for months about hey, Mesut Ozil. Oh, they need Mesut Ozil. Why is he not on the team? Okay, we've got rid of Ozil. Erdegaard is going to be is going to be the replacement. You've basically put the, the basically the future of Arsenal on his shoulders, because that is what that because that's the player they need to click and then take them up and then take them up the table so even though it's only a six-month thing you are basically gambling the future of arsenal on on this one man and then back to smith Rowe, it is a slight slight kick in the teeth because he's been one of their be- better play- better yeah. better players recently so the fact that you've now gone and taken what it what is a gamble on someone like, on someone like Erdegaard, you know you'd much rather have smith Rowe then think if you're gonna ha- if you're gonna have something you know let's try let's try this guy no no moving forward and even if it doesn't even if it doesn't work out then you haven't really gambled anything or spent um anything you know i know Odegaard, it will be a loan fee and i think i saw today it's like 40,000 pound a week they're paying in, t- in terms of wages which, given the way that Arsenal's finances are right now, because they just had to take a loan out from the g go- basically they can't really afford to be doing this. But the fact they want to do it, I'd have rather stuck with Smith Rowe in this situation, and then just hope that the likes of you know Aubameyang and Lacazette and Gabriel Martinelli, you know those attacking players, can carry on, or or at least maybe get William, uh, William, get him you know firing back again. I think those are the players that really should have been the ones to focus on, rather than trying to get someone in.
2: Okay, let's focus on an FA Cup event now. The Johnny Rock Stadium, Matthew. There was nothing in the way of shocks for the whole round, but if football was eighty minutes like rugby. It would have been Cheltenham in the hat and not Man City.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it, it is it is a theme. But this this was more about Cheltenham Town for their fantastic performance because it wasn't even like they were lucky. It was they were. They were dominating Man City in areas of the game in some times. So they put in an absolutely fantastic performance. And everyone says that the romance of the FA. Well, everyone says there's always the debate whenever it comes around is everyone says the romance of the FA Cup is dead. But then there will always be the occasions to say, no, the romance of the FA Cup isn't dead, which should really put to bed the first argument. But it always happened. But. That game, that first 80 minutes, was just fantastic football to watch. And it d- it did show, you know, in the cliché, that the magic of the cup is still there. And they can still give us, even in games that should be one-sided, even if it you know, turned out that way, it just goes to show that there are still great games and great, great stories out there.
2: So, Max, obviously City are through after a scare. There's no doubt about that. Will Pep be too concerned at that performance, or is that just part and parcel of the FA Cup and it being a proper cup tie?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think the latter. Um, you would say, oh, well, maybe you know the players he had on the pitch and the kind of fees that you paid for them that they, they should be out of sight. And yeah, m- maybe they should be. But if you played that game uh, a hundred more times, I, I still think City would win ninety-nine times um, of those a hundred. And not to do any uh, any discredit to Chelham at all, because they were fantastic um, defensively, attacking-wise. They were, they were so on it, and basically they played to the absolute. Uh, maximum of their capabilities, and you know it, they were managed really well by Michael Duff. So, so, so fair play to them. Um, but in in the end, the, the, the superior quality um, told in in a similarly uh, to to how Tottenham kind of overpowered Wickham um, fairly late on. Basically, after a game of just kind of ch- chasing shadows um, of, of the of the City players, uh, you know that they, they were just um, a bit tired out. Um, the, the offside decisions for the goals—that it was pretty tight. The first one was onside. The second one may have been disallowed. AR, we'll never know. But you know, it, it wasn't—it wasn't like um, obviously they scored the third at the end then. But it wasn't goals that you know the, the the defense parted. It was really, really kind of tight offside calls twice. And so yeah, they played really, really well. Um, but Guardiola won't be concerned. You know, it was on a pretty rubbish pitch. Um, and he did do a fair bit of rotation, so I think he'll just be pleased to go through to the next round.
2: Right, let's go back up to
0: Merseyside now, Matthew, the blue half, because
2: science is trying to outwit us. There's no kazoo, we've not had one in a while, because Dominic Calvert, Lewin, has been injured. He's fit again, he scored. So how do we deal with such an occurrence? Um,
1: we just put this down as a non applicable sort of right, thing. We, okay. we didn't have we didn't have the we didn't have the full um the full science or the full evidence to sort of uh, for, to put a to put a proper to put a proper analysis towards the thing so yeah let's just put, let's put this down as a as a non applicable we can't we can't fall this one one way or
2: the other okay so it's not going to skew the data set but everton face Leicester in midweek are you offering kazoo or no kazoo
1: you know what, I think now that he's back, now that he's back to fitness, and getting, yeah, I think this is probably, this is probably, probably going to be a good time for him to get back in the, in the Premier League goal
2: scoring chart, at least. So, yes, it. yes, I love it. Right, Max. Is so that...
1: anyone who has him in your fantasy team, by all means, I don't care, but if you have him, in the <laughs> fans, thank you. If he scores, you can thank me later.
2: There we go. And Max, the final point, obviously Everton have now got their talisman back, but Leicester, I've lost theirs for a month or so. Jamie Vardy undergoing surgery. Does this have the potential to derail the Foxy season?
0: Um Potentially. I, I think uh, Roger said in the press conference, uh, within kind of 10 days, he's going to be back back in training. So we obviously can't put an exact time scale on it. But basically, we previously, uh it was indicated it would be four to six weeks. And that is over this kind of congested period. That is potentially eight games, you know. Um, and that's just league games, let alone cup competitions and, and whatnot. So, yeah, if he was out for the full six weeks and, you know, maybe took a bit of a while to get back up to match sharpness, you could say, yeah, it's got the potential to to, to damage them, particularly given the lack of cover they've got up front. Iheanacho, um is a pretty big waste of money at 25 million. He's not completely finished. He's still young. But, um, you know, he, he hasn't shown that he can do it at Premier League level. Um, I guess Ayozu Perez can play there as well, but... He played up front for Newcastle, but he's kind of more a right-sided attacking midfielder, winger. Um, And so, yeah, they haven't got many options. But I think given that it's not going to be a massive amount of time before he comes back, and given the good form of Harvey Barnes and James Madison, I think they'll just be able to um, kind of scrape through without him.
2: Yeah, we'll have to watch this space. But I think that midweek clash at Merseyside, or Merseyside, I should say, might be not season-defining, but it might have a bearing for both teams' hopes of Top four, top one, depending on who you support there. But it's going to be interesting, one of the games of the week. And with that in mind, I think we've hit full time. So I just need to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my two pod squad members this week. First up, Max, thanks for your time this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah, very much. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. And Matthew, a pleasure as always. I hope you enjoyed that one also. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be back in the uh,
1: podcast groove after a week
2: off top man. Right, fantastic. Cheers guys and thanks to all the listeners out there. And with that said it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy this is The Real Football Cast and until next time goodbye. Podcast Network.